You're listening to the Co-op Book Podcast. So welcome Rosie Waterland to the very first co-op chat. Hello, Rosie. Hi. Now, we're talking to Rosie, the infamous Rosie Waterland, famous for her uh, Bachelor blog. But we're not talking about the Bachelor. We may touch on it, but we're actually going to talk about her autobiography, I suppose, The Anti-Cool Girl. Rosie, what was it like writing about yourself? Um, It was hard. I mean... I've always loved writing ever since I was a little kid, so it's definitely a book that I've always wanted to write, and I think it's always been in me, but given my childhood was quite dysfunctional, a little tumultuous, I guess, um, it was a lot harder to do than what I had anticipated, a lot harder. What was it like revisiting all those, you know, issues and past? Mm, It was... um, Well, I mean, look at it this way. I took a month off to write the book and I ended up staying away from work for seven months. (laughs) So it ended up being a much bigger job than what I thought, a much harder job than what I thought. It was, um, it was just really confronting. I mean, you have those memories and you think you're okay with them, but when you have to actually sit down and write about them really vividly, you relive them in a way that you weren't anticipating so it was harder than I thought it would be traumatic yeah it was yeah I think it was um now you I mean not to give away too much from the book but yes your childhood wasn't conventional Mm, yeah give us a snapshot of the young Rosie Waterland um well both my parents were addicts they both drank a lot um we my sisters and I were sort of sent to different foster homes and family members um we were shipped around a lot. Uh, there was a lot of dysfunction at home. Um, and through all of that, I guess, my sisters and I were just trying to get by and also be kids. And, and I think that's that's what I tried to do in the book. I tried to show that even though um, it's set in, in – there's this backdrop of dysfunction and a traumatic childhood, I also went through what everyone else went through. Like, you know, I had crushes on boys and I got my first period and I was jealous of my older sister for being so beautiful. Like, you still have to live the normal life things even when there's chaos going on at home, I guess. Absolutely. Now, you know, what you, you mentioned that you, you know, you grew up in the housing commission. Yeah. Was there a stigma attached to that growing up? Not that we knew of at the time. I mean, when we were kids, we knew that um, because we lived um, in one of Australia's few um, housing commission exclusive only areas. It wasn't integrated into any other kind of private housing. So um, we knew that where we lived was called the ghetto. We knew that that's what people called it, but I think we didn't really get what that meant. Um, It wasn't until later when I grew up that I realised um, what it meant to have grown up somewhere like that. And um, the title of the book, The Anti-Cool Girl, why, yeah. why, why that? Why? why? <laughs> um, I guess because I, I, a running theme throughout the book is that I spent my whole life trying to be cool, like just trying really hard. My older sister was really cool. I was always a dweeb. I was like this little freckle-faced kid with a helmet head haircut who loved reading, and I never quite got the cool kids and I tried so hard my whole life to be cool and then 
it was only after going through everything that I went through and, and learning all the lessons that I did that I sort of got to my mid-20s and I thought, like, I don't even – being cool just means trying too hard and trying too hard is exhausting. I just want to stay home in my undies and drink wine and watch TV. So – and there isn't anything wrong with that, I guess. And so that's sort of the point that I got to. So you reached the point of self-acceptance. I think so, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, you know what, I'm anti-cool and that's fine because that means I can just – have a really unnatural, unhealthy relationship with television and not care about it. <laughs> what, I mean, you, you like TV and pop culture. What do you like? What, what, what do you currently like? On TV? Um, oh, my gosh. I'm obsessed with a show called Unreal, <laughs> which I guess because, I've, because of what I write about The Bachelor, Unreal is a show that's sort of a fictional show based around um, the people who produced The Bachelor in the US. So I love that show. Um, any kind of comedies, I love Broad City. Um, that's a great show produced by Amy Poehler. Um, Difficult People is a great new show. Um, just anything funny about people who are kind of dweeby, I guess. Fair, fair enough. What about authors and books? Who, who do you like? Um, I'm actually... Uh, just finished reading Richard Glover's memoir about his childhood. We keep joking with each other that we have competing difficult childhood memoirs coming out. His memoir is incredible. Um, I also recently read um, Jenny Lawson's book. Um, oh, what's it called? Her first memoir. I forget. Um, something about a squirrel anyway Jenny Lawson is this incredible writer who a lot of people said reminded them a lot of um, me and so I read her memoir and it's brilliant and she's got a new book coming out um, so I recommend everybody read her first book before her new book comes out it's so great what was university like for you um the first time around I had a false start <laughs> so I went to UCID and um was studying psychology and lasted about a month I hated it um, then I, um, took a few years off, went to drama school, and then I think I was ready for uni when I was a bit older. So I went to UTS and I studied, um, writing and cultural studies and, um, I really loved it. You know, it was, um, we got to do screenwriting, we got to do creative nonfiction. We got, it was just the first time I got to explore my skills as a writer in, in a, um, more kind of vocational context. I'd never done that before. So I really loved it. One of the things I found uh, interesting about the book is that you, you you don't ignore mental illness. In fact, you mm. embrace it. Yeah. What's your relationship with mental illness? Tell me a bit about your, your history. or. Yeah, well, I mean, after going through, I guess, my life um, in my early 20s, um, PTSD hit pretty hard. So I dealt with that for a few years. Um, I had a couple suicide attempts. I had an eating disorder. I think, um, kids who've had child, I mean, people who've had childhoods like mine tend to really struggle with that trauma later. And, um, a huge part of my twenties, I mean, I'm 29 now, but a huge part of my early twenties was, um, just going to therapy and working really, really hard to trauma is incredibly difficult to work through. And, um, and, you know, I embrace it and I talk about it openly because it's it's just what happened to me and it happens to a lot of people. And I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm on medication now, that I see therapists once a week and I probably always will, but that's that's just how I have to live my life. I mean, we, we do what we do 
what we can to cope. Don't yeah, we? exactly. Yeah, I think I've gotten to a point now where I've. I have a, a system worked out where I handle it really well. Like I, my PTSD is, um, you know, I've largely recovered from that. I still get anxiety though, and and that's just something I have to deal with. I think, um, you know, especially with anxiety, it's something that never quite goes away. You just learn how to deal with it better. So, and that comes with age and time. And I love how I'm 29. I'm like that comes with age. <laughs> like I'm so old. <laughs> The big 30. The big 3 yeah. How do, you, how do you think things will change for you then, or will they? I don't know if they will. I feel like I I think everybody thinks this. I just still feel 17 all the time. I still feel like a kid, so I don't know if it'll change, but I love that I've at least written a book. I'm like, okay, well, at least on my 30th birthday, I've accomplished one big thing. Like, not married, don't have kids, but I have a really cool job and I've written a book, so doing okay. <laughs> so just... Obviously, the book's an amazing achievement. I highly recommend the book for anyone, and I, I think especially for uni students in their in their late teens and twenties, sort of grappling with life. But before the book was written, how how did you end up writing for Mamma Mia and writing about The Bachelor? Well, I mean, I I graduated my writing degree from UTS, and then like most people who graduate writing degrees, I was like what do I do now? Because <laughs> I didn't study journalism. I studied, you know, creative writing. And um, so I just kind of started a blog and started sending them some stuff and they started publishing it. And um, then they offered me a job as an editorial assistant. And I just sort of slowly worked my way up to editor. And then when The Bachelor started in season one, I said to them, you have to let me write about this. Like, I promise I can make it funny. And they were like, no, that show's gross. We don't want to write about it. And I was like, no, I will make it funny. Please let me. And um, and so they let me do it, but at home in my own time because <laughs> mm-hmm. they didn't trust that it would work. And after a few weeks, it had sort of garnered such a following that they were like, okay, you can you can watch it and do it at work now. And then it just, season one was pretty big. Season two became huge. And now this season, it's just, out of this world I, I don't even understand it like people come up to me in the supermarket it's crazy but um exciting it's fun it's fun to write about last year you had there was amazing stuff going on in the news with the bachelor so i mean that must have been an absolute blessing well i mean in a way but i i never write about the gossip of it like i largely just write satire about the show and when um what was his name i can't even remember his name <laughs> blake when blake left the girl for the other girl and it was this whole thing and people were like please tell us what you think about this and I was like nah like leave the gossip to entertainment reporters I'll just write about the the silly tv show and so yeah that's sort of what I do have you met any of the people you've written about um in the first season I did I met um the final few girls and I met the bachelor um but then last year I just decided to put up a bit of a Chinese wall like I it felt um it felt easier and to write the satire um if I hadn't met them because I mean it's largely fantasy what I write about all of them is not it's none of it's true like I say that some of them like shed their skin and become like you know crazy pube monsters and I just write all this ridiculous stuff and um, I think it's just easier to not really know anything about what their personalities actually are because I just give each of them a character and go with it. And, and I think it's all in good fun, though. Like, I've 
I've had a lot of them contact me on social media and just say that they think it's so funny and they love what I wrote. And, and so I, I think everybody appreciates that it's all just affection, all done with affection. What would you say to the nine-year-old Rosie Waterland if you could say anything now? <laughs> um, I would say just keep doing what you're doing, man. Like back then I knew I was going to be something better than what my childhood had offered. And I loved writing. I loved TV. I loved being creative. And I think I would just say, man, it's going to be shit for a while, but just stick it out because one day you'll be doing interviews about your first book, (laughs) which is just nuts. So that's what I'd say.